This week's Head to Head asks whether patients should be able to email their general practitioner. And the Department of Health seems to think so, saying that patients should be able to communicate electronically with their health and care team by 2015. To talk about whether this can occur in practice, I'm joined by the authors of the Head to Head. Hi, Eleanor. Hi, Emma. Hello. Hello. So, Thanks for having us. Eleanor, I believe you've actually worked in a practice that has successfully introduced uh, email services. Uh-huh. And in the, art- in the article, you've argued that patients should be able to e- email their GP. Can you tell our, tell our listeners what email is currently used for and how such use might be expanded? Yes, certainly. So the the practice that I've worked in previously has actually been using email for quite a long time. We've opened that up more recently in response to um, sort of increased demand, basically. But I've been, I believe they've been using it now for probably about five years or so. Um, it's not a complete open door policy, so we haven't been advertising our email address on our website, for example. But where we found it most useful is to um, to actually follow up a face to face encounter using email. So, um, for example, if you'd done some blood tests for a patient, you can communicate those via email. So for follow-up of face-to-face encounters, for the communication of certain results, granted not, not all of them, and obviously for anything that we thought might be serious, we wouldn't be communicating that via, via email, but for more routine issues, I think it really just benefits patients in them not having to, to try and get an appointment to, to battle with the telephone systems and, and potentially take a half day off work to actually just come in and be told your results are okay. It's a lot easier for both doctors and patients actually just to communicate that via email. And in your experience, did you find that patients also wanted uh, this kind of service? I did, yes. So, like I said, we didn't publicise it, so to speak. We we were never sort of overly cautious of telling people our email addresses, but it wasn't, for example, up in the practice or on the website. But um, when I felt, after having seen someone, that we could actually do a follow-up appointment via email, I would recommend that to patients. And overwhelmingly, the response I had was generally very, very positive. Obviously, there are some patients who don't have email, who don't want to use it, who find the technology difficult, or there might be a, a language or a literacy barrier, and then it's not suitable. But... For the vast majority of patients um, who already use the internet and use email, they were actually very happy to, to have these sorts of um, follow-ups um, done via email. I think it just generally made their life um, much easier in terms of fitting in these things into their day-to-day. Emma, this superficially sounds like such a straightforward um, case. What, it all sounds so reasonable. Why, why are you worried about this? I think that it's great that um, Ellie's practice has found a way that this can work. But, um, I mean, the, the idea that the Department of Health has is that this is going to be available for all patients, not just a select few and not just for follow-up. So follow-up seems quite sensible, seems quite safe, but there's no way you could just limit that to follow-up. Patients could easily email about... Uh, an acute health problem, perhaps something that's an emergency that needs dealing with straight away. And um, I know in, in Eleanor's practice what they've done is they've tried to educate patients in terms of what what is appropriate to email about. And, and most people would know that, say, emailing about chest pain, for example, might not be appropriate and you'd be better phoning for an ambulance. But actually there's some clinical symptoms and signs that aren't that obvious straight away to, to um, non-medically trained people such as I don't know, perhaps a, a pain in the calf that they think maybe is just a pulled muscle. And even if they know that their email won't be replied to for two or three days, actually that potentially could be a DVT, potentially leading to you know more, more serious 
problems. And um, one of the main concerns among a lot of GPs is where do we find the time in the day to do this? Because the day is already completely busy for many GPs. That's about 10 to 12 hours. They're off on home visits. They're doing their blood results. They're seeing patients face to face. Um, or indeed doing telephone consultations, which is something that has gone on for, for some time, where in the day would you find the time to, to do emails, to answer all these emails as well? I think if I can, if I can respond to that. <laughs> but the first point about safety, I mean, I, I completely um, take your point. I think for certain, as you've already mentioned, for acute medical presentations, that would be part of the whole package of introducing um, email services that you really need people to understand. It's not for acute presentations. But I think for your point of sort of presentations that we might consider more acute, but where patients aren't quite sure, um, I think my argument would be that actually if they were emailing us, if that wasn't an option, they might actually be waiting sort of for an hours or if we've been days sometimes to actually get through to us to book an appointment, which may actually mean that they give up. And the appointment they would have got, for example, for their calf pain, if they didn't consider that problem to be urgent, they might not get an appointment for, for a week or two. Mm. So, actually it probably so, so maybe the problem is, is, is actually not having enough appointments because, mm. you know, is emailing just sort of papering over the cracks of the fact that we don't have enough investment in general practice we don't have enough doctors on the ground and you know the email is just a, a way of saying oh well if you can't get an appointment then you could email as well and you know as a safety net and actually what we really need to be doing is offering these people face-to-face -face appointments because the more people you've got sitting replying to emails the less people you've got actually taking surgeries and seeing patients well, I certainly agree that general practice, you know, we've got a recruitment crisis. We don't have mm. enough GPs as it stands, and, and we certainly don't have enough investment from the NHS in terms of the, the funds that go towards general practice itself. I don't see really email as um, a substitution for a face-to-face -face appointment, but I see it as a useful addition. So I don't think that the people that are, for example, um, just wanting routine administrative tasks to happen, I don't think that we need to see them face-to-face. -face. I think we will be absolutely yeah, want if we gave everybody a face-to-face -face appointment. Mm. And what I like to think, and certainly the, what I did find when I was working with emails, is that certain tasks that would have um, t taken me longer, for example, writing a letter to a patient with their, their blood results um, and then posting it and having obviously then the cost of the, the pieces of paper and the postage as well, or trying to telephone a patient back with their, their blood results, not getting through three or four times, trying two days in a row. Actually, if yeah, I that's, sent them a really quick email, I knew the email had got to them by and large if you don't get a bounce back and you've confirmed the email address. But that do you know that they've through. read it? Do you you know don't know they've read, they've read it, read but, it. but do we know that a patient has read a letter that we've sent to them? The number of times I see patients clinically and I say, oh, did you see the, doctor, the letter the doctor wrote to you last week about you know, your cholesterol? Is that why you're here? And they say to me, what letter? Um, mm. it, it happens so perhaps if we, were, if we were talking to them on the phone or if we were seeing these people, certainly, you know, you don't want to, as you said, you don't want to, it's hard enough to get appointments. We don't want to be pulling people in to just to give routine results or to say, oh, yes, thanks for coming in, your blood tests are all fine. But actually, um, we do need to know that patients have got some, you know, these results. And also, it's very difficult on email. You can't engage their reaction. Sometimes we give results that don't necessarily seem to be bad news, perhaps, or, you know, if someone's perhaps being told they've got a urine infection or an STI or the like, you know, they might have other questions and, and they might want to speak to a GP. You can't gauge their emotional response by sending an email and it's hard to then support them. Um, how, how would you deal with that? Do you well, just I think ask it's them to come be... in? 
Yeah, I think it's it's a case really of judging which um, which emails are appropriate to send. And this is going to be partly the, the doctor's expertise of knowing their patients, knowing before they say to the patient, would you like to follow this up with email, knowing what the possibilities could be that, that things might come back. So, if, for example, if I saw someone who was very unwell and I was a little bit worried about them, thought that their bloods might show something a bit, uh, something serious, I wouldn't say to them, let me email you with the results, because it's just setting yourself up to, to fail, really, on, on everyone's part, because it just wouldn't be appropriate. And that's sure. why I think email can be helpful for certain things, but obviously not everything. But I think for certain things that are quite simple and easy, you can put most of that into an email, as you would a letter. And we would always invite further questions. And if um, if a patient, for example, did respond to your initial email with a sort of a whole page worth of questions, you can just which you could potentially which they could do, yeah, certainly could do. We would just say, look, this is getting a bit too complicated. I think it'd be better if we saw you face to face. And that is what we would do in our clinical practice and the practice I worked in, because obviously the thing to remember there is as soon as you've told a patient that you, you have an email address in your practice, for future questions about the next problem that happens to someone, they will often email you about that. So it's not always the follow-up of a face-to-face encounter. Yes, yeah, so that's, that's the problem of control. And that, and actually, and that would happen at would our you create yourself? Would you create more work for yourself? Possibly. Well, I, I would say generally that uh, you know, the patients who do email us now, it's, it's not always about a face-to-face uh, encounter. They, they will just email us about things. And we, we, we manage that very well. By and large, patients don't send you reams and reams. The, the evidence I've sort of put into the, the article that we've written, um, mm-hmm. as I've mentioned already, suggests that most patients actually are quite concise. Most people do email you about a single problem. Um, and it's not difficult to reply if people are asking too many things over email or you feel like it's becoming a little bit inappropriate for the reasons you've mentioned that you actually think you need to sort of get a good judge of what's going on here and actually have a good face-to-face consultation engage all those communication skills you can ask them to come in wow well this topic clearly strikes a chord but i understand that department of health states that patients should be able to communicate electronically with their health and care team by 2015 so are we ready well, I think the Department of Health of, um, at the moment are saying that patients need to be able to, to book um, appointments online and to order uh, repeat prescriptions online. And I think I mean, that's, that's mandated. So that is something that uh, GP practices are going to have to do by 2015. And I think an awful lot of them are already doing that. That's not quite the same as providing email services to the extent that we're discussing. Um, and I'm not sure of the answer to that one, whether we're ready to do more than that. Um, I like to think, as I've, as I've argued, that actually... We've got some really good case studies from around the country of where email use has worked really well, and we need much more evidence to actually support the, its use or refute it if the evidence comes out to say that actually it's, it's not something that should work on a national level. Um, and it's not going to happen overnight by itself as well. I think people, you know, GPs do need some guidance from our governing bodies. We do need the RCGP to get involved and to give us some really comprehensive advice. And at the end of the day, as we've already alluded to, general practice is underfunded. It's not going to happen without investment and, and more GPs that we urgently need anyway. So I think, um, hopefully, I would like to see it happen. So my answer would be hopefully yes, but watch this space probably. Emma, do you have anything to to add there? Well, I mean, Ellie makes some really good points there about um, about ev- it needing to be evidence-based. And, and she's quite right. The evidence just isn't really there at the moment. There's no evidence at the moment that, that email is effective in, in improving patient care or access to GPs or, or that it has any financial benefit. Um, 
if we well, could there's no see evidence that either way. That's the main thing. There's no so evidence it's, either way. It's, but yeah, but there's if we no could evidence for or against at the moment, really. But if we if we could see evidence if we could see evidence that it did work, then you know, by by all means and, and quite rightly she also mentions about, about the guidance. There is a little bit of guidance the MPS that only, you know, nothing specific from the GMC or, or the, the Royal College and that's really what we would need. So you know, we all want to make this a better service for patients and, and if we can find a way of doing that, um, then I'm all for it. But I don't think that email is, is really the answer at the moment. Emma, could I mean, I think both of you um, in your article mentioned the fact that before telephone services were introduced, there were similar fears around that method of communication. Emma, can you explain why why email is any different or why the fears should be different in this case? I, I can understand why people are, are always a bit um, sceptical of anything new coming in because we get used to a certain way of working. But I think with telephone calls, the, there, is a, there is some difference there because you can get some direct feedback from the patient. You can have a conversation you can pick up on communication cues that um, there's even clinical clues in a, in a telephone call you can tell if someone's anxious if they're breathless that sort of thing so actually you can get a lot more from a telephone call I think than an email thank you and just coming back to the point about um, GP workload um, Eleanor I wonder if you have any insights from from seeing the the email services introduced in in your practice, how how was GP workload managed? Was it af- affected? I think it was effective, yeah. But as I've mentioned already, you need to plan for it. You can't just assume that you're going to be able to do it within your working day as it stands at the moment. It really needs to be incorporated into your working day to be able to answer the emails that come through. But I think that certainly for my personal workload, I did feel like I was offsetting some of the workload um, through using email. So whereas I would have seen someone face-to-face for a follow-up, I was then able to send them a quick email. And so I think that did then reduce the face-to-face appointments that I I would potentially have been seeing as follow-up. Granted, I probably saw someone else instead in reality. Great, thank you. Well, I think we're almost out of time. So um, are there any final points you'd uh, like to make, final comments or thoughts? Emma, do you have anything to add there? I think there's one thing that, that I hadn't mentioned. Um, um, I know that this has worked really well in early practice, and, and, and that's great, but all practices are very different, and I think we have to be careful, um, really, that those, you know, this isn't just a sort of queue-jumping facility for those that are internet-savvy, because... Those that are really in need, um, a lot of the elderly or infirm or certain socioeconomic groups might not actually have um, email or the, the know-how to, to use IT services like this. But, um, so we need to be careful that we don't just sort of increase that health inequality um, by introducing the service wherein other people who, who are just more able can get the GP time and the GP attention, which takes away from the other, from the others that are really in need. So I think that's an important point to make. Thanks. And Ellie, do you want to uh, respond to that or, or raise any other issues? A final word? Yeah, no, certainly. So I, I would, um, I would agree that email is not going to be for everyone. But I would say, in my experience, I've actually had um, several really. Um, 
effective interactions with patients over email because they weren't able to use the telephone because of medical reasons. Um, and actually, I've, what I found most useful and most rewarding as a doctor through using email is the continuity of care. So when I have seen someone face-to-face, I've been able to follow that entire episode through with them. It, I think patients actually really appreciated the fact that they had the same person talking them through their, their episode of care for a particular medical problem. I really do think that it's, it's got the potential to be such a worthwhile um, form of communication that we can add into the existing form of communications that we use. And, uh, and I think that patients would appreciate us dragging this part of uh, general practice into the 21st century, really, and I think it can benefit clinicians and patients. So that head-to-head is now online, and we're really interested to know what you think about the issue, so please do let us know by sending a rapid response.